I'm Katie. And I'm Steve. And this is the City of Reading Podcast. Welcome to our three-part series focused on the homelessness crisis in Reading. In this series, we explore the topic of homelessness in Reading from three different perspectives. In part one, we talk with Police Chief Bill Schuler to get his take on what homelessness looks like in Reading and how the Reading Police Department is addressing our local homeless population from a law enforcement perspective. In part two, we talk with Hill Country Community Clinic CEO Lynn Dora and Integrated Operations Director Joe Campbell about the mobile crisis response team. We discuss the partnership with the Reading Police Department and how they are collaborating to address homelessness from the mental health and substance abuse perspective. And lastly, in part three, we talk with Vice Mayor Kristen Schrader about micro shelters, what the city of Reading is doing to address homelessness, and what developments are coming in the future that could help solve the issue. This is a complex topic without easy answers or simple solutions. According to a recent point-in-time survey, 17 out of every 10,000 people in the U.S. experience homelessness. These people represent every region of the country, family status, gender category, and racial and ethnic groups, according to endhomelessness.org. Reading is no different in that we are experiencing a homelessness crisis, but there are a number of local organizations that are working to help those who are currently homeless or in danger of becoming homeless. In 2020, the Reading Police Department responded to 820 5150 mental health service calls. According to mentalhealthpolicy.org, 45% of homeless individuals experienced some form of mental health issue in 2020. The Reading Police Department is actively seeking solutions to more effectively assist those in our community who are homeless. In part one, we talk about reimagining what police and homeless interactions look like in Reading with Police Chief Bill Schuler. My name is Bill Schuler. I'm the Chief of Police for the Reading Police Department. Chief Schuler, what is your view of homelessness in Reading right now? Well, that's a complicated question with a also complicated answer. I think homelessness is a significant issue in our community, but it's also a significant issue in communities throughout California and in other states. The last point in time survey in 2020, there's 816 tracked homeless individuals in Shasta County. That included sheltered and unsheltered. So unsheltered, the ones most of us see throughout the day, the ones we encounter the most, 454 by that count. There wasn't a 2021 count because of COVID, so we don't know what the real numbers are this year, but it seems it's at least the same, if not more. And it, you know, it just continues to be an issue. We, as a police department, are dealing with it on a daily basis because of the illegal camping aspect and the blight, the crime associated with some homelessness, the illegal camping and, the, and a lot of the trash that's associated with that and the debris that we end up picking up, that, that's what we deal with it. I, I wish I had some great answer to say how we could solve it, but it's a combination of, unfortunately, it's housing, it's a lot of different things. And the police department's part of that mix, but we're not the ones that can solve the problem. And, and Chief, with that 816 figure from 2020, how does that compare per capita versus other California cities? That's a good question that I don't know the answer to. As part of the Northern, Northern California Continuum of Care that does the survey, so that's all the North State counties up here. We're the largest out of that, but that we're also the most populous. So it's not surprising to me that, that, that we have that highest number. But I, I think you can go... You go to any big city, you go to San Francisco, you go to Sacramento, and there are hundreds and hundreds of homeless all over. I was just in Santa Barbara a few weeks ago, and I was, you know, there's quite a few there too, very similar to Reading all over in different areas of town. So I don't think we're atypical. 
And I know you mentioned it before, but being homeless isn't a crime. And you mentioned illegal camping being something that RPD deals with on the part of homeless and the trash that's kind of associated with that. Do you see that as being the largest actual problem that stems from from homelessness in Reading? Well, I think, yes, the illegal camping and the destruction of property, the trash associated with that is a significant issue. But there's a lot of drug use amongst the homeless community, and they have to fund that drug use or, or alcohol abuse. And, and so there's a lot of petty theft associated with that from repeat shoplifting to burglaries or thefts from businesses or thefts from homes, everything from stealing lawn ornaments and solar powered lights and you name it, that stuff is being stolen and used elsewhere for these camps, but also to fund drug habits. A lot of cars are broken into to fund these drug habits. Out of the, those surveyed in, in the 2020 point in time survey, and again, that's not just Shasta County, other than sudden loss of income or a family breakup, which is basically a tie, mental health was one of the top three reasons for people being homeless. I mean, that kind of explains the issues that we're dealing with. Shasta County is getting better with its mental health coordination, and we're continuing to try to improve on that. But funding for mental health went way down years ago. We lost our 24-hour our mental health facility here due to budgets in the mid-2000s. And then Shasta Regional Medical Center has picked up some of the slack. But the majority of the folks here, there isn't a place for them to go get treatment other than maybe Hill Country or inpatient treat or outpatient treatment at Shasta County's mental health. So it, it's a significant issue. And Chief, on, on that topic of mental health, you mentioned it's, it's obviously a, a large portion of those numbers. There, there is currently some, some programs in partnership between Reading Police Department and Hill Country Community Clinic with regard to mobile crisis response team and some mental health tools at your disposal. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so Hill Country came into town a few years ago from the, you know, the Bernie uh, Fall River area where they were originally at. And they've opened up a clinic downtown and a mobile crisis response team. And the mobile crisis response team, you know, when it first started out, we really weren't sure what it was going to look like or how it was going to work. Cops tend to be a little bit suspicious in uh, these kind of, of, of a program like that. But it has really turned out to be something great, a great partnership and great for our community. So MCOD or the mobile crisis response team, they have a van and I'm sure people have seen around town and they will respond to calls from the community of someone in some sort of mental health crisis. It could be somebody as simple as somebody sitting on a street corner talking to themselves and they will respond and try and provide services to that person. In addition, when we need them, they'll respond with us to a crisis intervention call where they're, let's say that person is just a danger to themselves, but they're not to the point where they have a weapon or they're violent so that they can, uh, MCOT can probably take care of that call. So that's one of the things we've been working on to expand with them is having them take more of those calls without us. When there is a crisis, mental health crisis, the person's not violent or doesn't have a past violent past and they don't have access to weapons, there's no real reason for a police officer to have to go to that call for service unless something changes. So MCOT can go out and take those calls. What we've done in the last few months as we've been going through these talks is work to, one, expand them. They only work five days a week and they work eight hours a day. Well, there's 
a lot more days in the week and there's a lot more hours in the day. And a lot of those calls occur outside those hours. So they're working, currently working on moving to hiring more staff and going to seven days a week. So they've increased their contract with the county to do that. And then we're getting them a police radio in their van and they're going to get some radio training and, and we're changing the way we dispatch these calls for service. So they'll be able to be dispatched via radio to a call like I talked about and handle that call without any law enforcement at all. And in addition, they'll be honored in the radio and if another call comes in and they're available, they'll come out and stand by and assist once we have the scene secured or the person secured so they're no longer a threat. Um, and they've been doing that for several months just after coming to my department and doing some training with my officers to say, hey, this is what we'll do for you. And so now the officers, will, you'll hear them on the radio say, hey, can you have MCOT respond? And Hill Country will respond and they'll stage down the road. And as soon as a scenario or situation is stable, they'll call them in and they'll take the whole thing from there. And our law enforcement officers are able to go back in the field to respond to emergency calls. So it's a great partnership and it continues to expand and grow. And we're excited to see where that's going to go as we develop the crisis intervention response team that should be starting by the end of next month. Along those lines, Chief, how did the new crisis intervention response team come about and how does it complement what Hill Country's mobile crisis response team is currently doing in the community? About a year ago, Sheriff McGreen and I were just having a conversation. He and I independently had both seen a program on HBO called Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops. And it's a uh, docu-series about San Antonio Police Department's mental health unit. And so they have assigned officers that are assigned to, uh, that have advanced training in mental health that respond to calls for service, crisis calls like we're going to. But the difference is they're, they have extensive training in crisis intervention. They have this direct link with mental health providers in San Antonio. And then they also don't wear uniforms. They're wearing plain clothes, their body armor is concealed, their firearms are concealed, and they're driving an unmarked police car. So he and I just happened to be talking about that program. We're like, why are we not doing that here? And so for the last you know, year, and COVID delayed that, of course, because the focus changed, but we've been working with the county on doing something like that. Is a memorandum of understanding and agreement with with the county, to, they're going to fund 123 or 122,000 of a Reading police officer, and they're going to help fund a, de- a deputy sheriff. And they have already hired and are providing a mental health clinician. The Reading PD is providing an unmarked patrol vehicle, which is being built as we speak. And we're going to use office space at the downtown substation. And these, this three-person team made up of a deputy sheriff and a Reading police officer and a mental health clinician will respond to all emergency crisis calls in the lower basin of Shasta County. They'll work really closely with Hill Country and where Hill Country can fill in on the non-emergency, the non-violent ones, they'll fill in as they expand to seven days a week. But the idea behind it is same as kind of like Hill Country's model. We're going to have a mental health clinician with us. So, and the way they're going to be trained uh, dressed in their response is going to help de-escalate those situations. And our, our goal is, one, reduce those fatal encounters with law enforcement and also, you know, get them that long-term care that they need and have someone from public health or mental health being able to get them into that care. And then when they're not responding to those crisis calls, they're going to be able to be proactive in the community. And they're, if they're driving down the road and they see someone that may be in crisis or just maybe needs some help, They're going to be able to stop 
and and take care of that person, whether they're homeless or whether they're not. But they'll be able to stop and try and give that person some resources and get them out of that. I'm very excited about this program. It's a pilot. It's two officers, a deputy and officer, and one clinician working four days a week is not going to solve the issue. But if it's successful, then our hope is that we expand this program, hire more staff, and are able to cover the county seven days a week instead of four and maybe you know, 20 hours a day instead of 10. So that that's our overreaching goal. And are you seeing that partnership really helping to de-escalate some of these situations, you know, where there could be a mental health crisis that's kind of occurring? And if that team can come in and they provide more of those mental health services, does that change the dynamic of those situations? Yeah, a pretty well-known fact that despite the training that our officers have, which we our officers have a lot of advanced training and crisis intervention, the uniform, the badge, the gun, the police car, all of those things can sometimes heighten a situation to a higher level instead of calm that, that situation down. So, so having Hill Country and MCOT available to handle that call does help de-escalate that situation and uses, usually resolve that situation. And it also provides more of a long-term treatment option because they're able to spend the time with the patient, either take them to the hospital on a 5150 hold or take them back to Hill Country and get try and get them into services to try and resolve that. Policemen, our job is to, you know, are they a danger to themselves or others? And if they are, we detain them under a 5150 hold that we write and we take them to the hospital for the medical evaluation. And they sit there until mental health can get there to do an evaluation and either keep them on the hold or release them. But it just adds another dynamic having Hill Country there to be able to, one, facilitate that longer term care and and also to just not to have the law enforcement be there at all, if possible. You mentioned that there, there was some advanced training that Hill Country did with your team prior to this being established. For those instances where it's just the crisis response team going out with, without the sworn officers assisting, what type of things are done to ensure their safety? Are there instances where it may be an unsafe situation? And I guess, how, how do you address that? And kind of how do you ensure their safety when, when they're going out solo? Right. So, I mean, if, if there's a call for service that they respond to, or they get a call from a citizen saying, there's someone in crisis. The questions they ask are, are there weapons involved? Is the person violent? Those kind of things. And so from there, if that's the case, they won't respond by themselves and they'll wait for us to come and, and we'll work the call together. If they get to a call and it's unsafe, they'll call Shascom and Shascom will dispatch officers. And then, but my hope is with this, them having a radio in their van and being able to carry that radio on their person when they go into a call and if there is an emergency, they'll be able to hit a button on that radio, a panic button, and our officers will be able to respond there quickly to help them out because those kind of scenarios can get dangerous quickly. I know that AB 109 is slightly a factor in this. As I talked about earlier, a lot of homeless folks are encountering drug and alcohol abuse. And what's happened due to AB 109 and Prop 47 uh, is it's caught so AB 109 re, you know removed folks that were in prison back into local control and so those folks are in our local jails now taking up jail space if they're serving a certain type of sentence or they violate the terms and conditions of their new probation. In addition, we have Prop 47, which reduced a lot of felony crimes and misdemeanors, including a lot of drug crimes, and and so now we have this combination of a full jail and misdemeanor crimes and nowhere, no accountability. 
So now if somebody is a drug abuser or they're carrying drugs and they get an officer comes into contact with them, it's just a misdemeanor. It's a citation. There's no accountability for that crime. In the previous, pre-Prop 47, you would be arrested on a felony and then you would go have the opportunity to go through a diversion program where you could go through drug treatment, go through the drug court program, have your case dismissed upon successful completion of that. And then you're, you're out of that cycle. It's breaking that cycle. And now we don't have that opportunity. Drug court still exists, but now it's only a misdemeanor crime. That incentive to go through drug court is not there like it used to be. And then you add that to the, the jail being full. We're not going to book people on misdemeanor crimes when they're not in the jail school and they can just, they're going to go right out the front door as we're driving out the back door. So that exacerbates the homeless situation when they're committing crimes to fund drug habits and we can't do anything to provide any intervention. So the intervention has to be, there's no longer that hammer to hold over their head to go get treatment or go to jail or go to prison. It's they have to get help because they want to. A lot of people never want to. They just want to continue in that cycle. So those have had a significant effect, 8109, Prop 47, I think, on homelessness. And I think it's why we're seeing the numbers throughout the state that we're seeing now. And that goes into something that we see on social media a lot. The Reading Police Department has done a great job at cleaning up some of these encampments and getting some of the trash out of there and really cleaning up areas that needed to be cleaned. And what we see is that, you know, people are saying on social media, well, it's just going to come right back or, you know, you can clean it up now. It'll be back tomorrow. It sounds like there's not a whole lot that you can actually do about that. Yeah. I mean, we, we do cite the chronic offenders when necessary, but again, you're citing somebody that has no means or capability of paying a fine. And then there's no room in the jail to hold those folks accountable. We do have a chronic offender program right now. It's a collaborative effort with the DA's office in the county. And and so we get three beds at the jail. And so those worst of the worst offenders that are constantly out there committing crimes, we can put them in that chronic offender program. And like I said, we only get three beds at the jail at any one time. And the DA's office will prosecute that person as a chronic offender. So they'll take all their cases that they have pending and do them all in a single case. And then the jail will hold them until as they go through the court process. That has some impact on those really worst of the worst cases. But again, we can only do three. And you're dealing with as many crimes as we have in that kind of area in our community Three is not enough. Really, the solution to this problem is multifold. We need more drug and alcohol treatment. We need more transitional housing. I don't think we necessarily need more shelter space. We have a good mission that is doing a good job, and they have plenty of room, and they're never empty. But we do need that more longer-term solution for those folks that don't need to be in the mission. They need to be in some sort of transitional housing, whether that's an actual home that has multiple people in it that's got managed care, or it is shelter spaces where there's managed care for these folks where they can go and spend six months, get drug and alcohol treatment and job training and job placement, and then permanent housing through that program. So micro shelters. So that's where we're that's what would really help, I think, on that end, as well as some sort of misdemeanor jail facility where we can take these lower level crimes and house them with the same thing, drug treatment, job training, 
some sort of work experience, whether that be working the farm like we used to have or helping clean up camps and education, all those things to break that cycle to get them out of that place. It'd be like this, the chronic offender accountability program on steroids with 200 instead of nine for the whole county, something like that. Those those are the long-term solutions to the issue, in my opinion. Do you think that community members have reason to be hopeful for the future of Reading as it relates to homelessness? I think so, because you're seeing a lot of movement now towards a lot of things. So you look at the micro shelter project that is coming together. I know Shasta County has done a lot of work to provide more transitional housing and continues to work towards that goal of having more transitional housing. We have been working pre-COVID with the mission, the county and uh, and law enforcement, pre-COVID with the mission to create a day center. All of us in law enforcement said we need to have a place where the homeless, not the criminal homeless, but the ones that are just truly homeless, can have a place to go to cool off in the summer or warm up in the winter during daytime hours, you know, have access to a computer, have access to a counselor, some food or coffee and and be able to get out of the library parking lot or downtown or any of these other spots. So we had, that had gained a ton of momentum and was moving forward and then COVID hit and it put the brakes on that. And the mission was, there were some donations, there was going to be some fundraising, and the mission was going to be the start of it. And they were going to take their cafeteria and turn it into a day center. And you could get a couple hundred people in there during the day that would have a safe place to go to hang out during the day, as well as have some intervention possibilities there. And they just can't have those that many people in the cafeteria now with COVID. So I think once we get a handle on that later this fall, that project will come back and you'll see that change. And that'll be really helpful. And then as I talked about, micro shelters, that's changing. Our crisis intervention response team that we hope to get off the ground, that collaborative process with mental health and the Shasta Sheriff's Office next month will help address some of, I hope, some of the issues with mental health in our homeless population. I just think there's there's good news all the way around. There's a lot of collaboration from a lot of agencies trying to trying to make an impact here. And then lastly, do you have any advice or comments to the community from a police officer's perspective of how you should engage or interact or not engage with the homeless population? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, a lot of the homeless are, you know, they have mental health issues. And so, and if you see someone that's in crisis, call Hill Country. They have a 24-hour number you can call and even just leave a message, but you can call them and they will respond out there. And if they can't, they'll call us and we will, if you see like that. If someone's begging for money and they're homeless, they often have that drug or alcohol addiction and all you're doing is fueling that addiction. And then if you, so if you donate money to somebody on the side of the road, you're just allowing them to go buy more alcohol or go buy heroin or go buy, you know, methamphetamine or something else. Same if you deposit, give them sleeping bags and coats and jackets and stuff, that stuff is discarded all over our community and we end up picking that up. The best place to donate is to those organizations that are doing the work to try and break that cycle. And and so that's the mission, that's the Salvation Army, that's some churches and other organizations in our community that are helping those folks and doing it in a managed way. So that'd be my advice. You know, don't, don't, don't donate on the side of the road, donate to an organization that is going to do the right thing. And, uh, 
As a reminder, we are really looking for community feedback for this podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for episodes, please email us at podcast at cityofreading.org. We'd love to hear from you and incorporate those questions into future episodes.